بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وآل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين Welcome brothers and sisters to another episode on Truthful Vision Radio with Ali Al-Kaisi As always, if you like the content of this series, please support it with sharing, liking and giving us a feedback The topic of today's episode is an important topic that should have a big part in shaping our Muslim community The title of this episode is the absence of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam in our life. Our guest today is Sayyid Ali who has been studying in Qum for nearly 8 years and is currently in the advanced stages of his studies with a focus on philosophy and law. He also has a background in history, Quran and Hadith studies and regularly blogs about related topics on iqraonline.net. Brother Ali is originally from Toronto so he was exposed to our lifestyle in Canada and can relate to our day-to-day -day struggles. And I strongly believe that being able to relate is an essential part of delivering a meaningful message. Welcome Sayyid Ali. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the, on the show. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Now without further ado, let's dive into our first question. Whether a person lives in a Muslim community or not, we can see how absent the Prophet is from our life. What are the main reasons in your opinion? So, you know, that's a very important question. Uh, you know, you, quite often we talk about the fact that the Prophet is absent from our lives, from our communities, you know, whether we live in a Islamic community or in, in you know, an Islamic country or not. This is a question that is quite often asked today. But in order to understand this question, we have to ask a couple of questions about the question itself. Uh, which is, what do we mean by the Prophet being absent from our life? You know, uh, Obviously, we know that we don't mean the Prophet's physical presence here, because obviously he's no longer alive. And then on top of that, even if he's no longer physically present, his presence in the sense that his name and his you know, sort of significance uh, in terms of his, you know, his, his titles and his names, they are pretty prevalent. For example, in the Adhan, we hear his name you know, uh, five times a day all across the world. So even if he's not physically present, but his name is heard everywhere around the world. And this is something Allah himself had promised. He said, We have raised your remembrance for you. So we come to the realization that what we're really trying to ask here is that why are his teachings absent from our life? You know, something is missing, which is that something that he left behind. And when we look at his teachings, once again, when we pay a little bit more attention, we realize that, you know, what did he teach? Part of what he taught was, you know, the salat, the psalm, the zakat and the khums and all these, all these furu'at, for example, these laws. And you realize once again that, as a matter of fact, these are pretty prevalent in the Muslim world as well today. Like, do we not see Muslims praying five times a day, for example, you know, every year annually they're going to the hajj. That's right. So we when we say he's absent from our life, then we don't really mean this aspect of his teachings either because the, this aspect of his teaching is also very prevalent in the muslim world so that That's means right, there's something something that. else that we're yeah there's something else that we're referring to then that means right that's so right. what is that and that's i think that's what we want to drill down to i personally believe that what we're missing is are those sort of aspects of his seerah his his practical life which are not specifically restricted to the ibadat, to the acts of worship, like the salat and the psalm. And those are things that we all do. That's right. But rather his seerah, his actual practical uh, you know, behavior, how he conducted himself. 
Some of the Muslim scholars have divided the life of the Prophet into 12 different perspectives. You know, for example, they say that the Prophet, when he lived, he was a judge, he was a hakim, he was a sultan, you know, a ruler. He was somebody who would do tarbiyah, you know, train people. He was somebody who would offer counseling to people on personal matters, you know, on communal matters. He would educate people. There's all these different dimensions and perspectives that the ulama have divided the life of the Prophet into. If we clarify this aspect of the question, then I think we can, we can ask the question one more time, which is, why are this set of teachings of the Prophet missing from our lives? That's right. Why do we not find the people imitating the Prophet on these matters, which is, you know, following the Sunnah? And over here, I can answer the question, maybe, you know, two points or two reasons that come to my mind is that, look, firstly, we have, unfortunately, in our communities, a severe, severe lack of knowledge about the seerah of the Prophet itself. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, we do not read about the prophetic seerah. We don't read about his life. We don't read any analysis that are conducted about his life, his biography. How did he live? You know, how did he accomplish what he did in the two decades of his prophethood? You know, how was he able to change the face of the Arabian Peninsula? So, you know, one of the proofs of prophethood, uh, one of the evidence that is used for the prophet Nubuva is the fact that he was able to bring this amazing change in society, that this is something extraordinary. You know, it's not something that any average individual could have done. Yeah, within that short period of time. Exactly, in the short period of time. So if we know that this individual is extraordinary, then we obviously ought to study about his life. We have to study every aspect of his life. And alongside that, alhamdulillah, we have the Quran as well. You know, uh, there's two issues, and this is the Quran can be a you know a different sort of podcast, a different show that you can you know do a whole uh, topic on that. Yeah, definitely, that's a topic by itself. Exactly. Definitely. But my point here is that the Quran itself also is almost like a it gives us clues about the biography and the seerah of the Prophet. You know, the way God speaks to him, the way Allah Subhanahu wa Taala advises him. Sometimes Allah admonishes him. For example, in Surah Al-Tahrim, Ya Nabi, Lima Tuharrimu Ma Ahalallahu Laka. You know, what do we understand from this? Why is Allah, you know, sort of, it almost seems like He's condemning him, but is, he con is it really condemning him or is it a sort of like a, like an admonition? What is it? This tells us about the Prophet's own personality. Sometimes you find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calming the Prophet down in the Quran. You know, Prophet is going through these challenges and Allah says to him, don't worry, you know, don't stress. Or فَإِنَّ مَعَ الْأُسْرِ يُسْرَى Don't worry, after hardship, ease will come for you. That's right. And even uh, mentioning the other Prophet's stories just show True. the struggles that they went through. Exactly, exactly. So I'm saying the Qur'an itself can be a source of learning about the biography and the seerah of the Prophet. So that's the first reason, I would say. The first reason is that, you know, there is severe lack of knowledge about the seerah. And then the second issue, I would say, is that if you have a lack of knowledge about the seerah, or even if some individuals in the community, you know, happen to know a little bit about his seerah, or no, sometimes you have individuals who extensively know about the seerah. There is still a dilemma that a lot of us face in terms of imitating the Prophet. Okay, so let's say I know about his life right now, I've studied his life, but now I want to know how to make his life relevant for myself today. Because obviously the Prophet was not living in the same context that I'm living in today. And this second reason, is very challenging okay 
because it requires a lot more thought and reflection uh, to figure out how to make his seerah relevant today. And alhamdulillah, even today, there's a lot of scholarly efforts and scholarly works that are being done uh, just on this topic specifically. Because you can read the seerah, you can read the, you know, the raw data of the biography of the Prophet, but you may still encounter issues when you try to make it relevant for your you know, situation today, basically. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I've, I've actually listened to one of yeah. the scholars regarding Sira. There are a lot of questions, actually. It's, uh, it's, it's very deep and uh, fundamental to solve these questions. And I think uh, scholars finally are realizing that yeah. the answers are really needed. Because yeah. uh, our thinking and our way of looking at this world is, is a little bit different now uh, with all of this information yeah, definitely. on the internet. Yeah. Now that leads us to the second question. Uh, why is it important to have him in our lives? And uh, what did we lose? You know, in, in terms of the importance uh, of having him in our life. So now we've clarified that by absence, we mean a very specific set of teachings of the Prophet, which is his seerah. So now we're asking, why is it important to have this seerah? In order to address this, I'm just going to mention a couple of statements from uh, Imam Ali alayhi salam from Nahjul Balagha. And this is from uh, two different sermons, for example. He is describing the the society before the Prophet, you know, was sent forth, essentially. And he says, the, the descriptions are long, I'm just quoting a few excerpts from it. Uh, for example, he says in one place that the people at that time were divided into different parties and different groups. And their aims were separate and their ways were diverse. Yes. So they were just, you know, just going off on their own. Uh, there was no sort of unity bringing these groups together. Each of them had their own ideologies. Each of their, them had their own sort of methodologies. And That's then he right. goes on to say elsewhere that people had fallen into vices, you know, fitna, whereby the rope of religion had been cut. The pillars of belief had been shaken. People were differing in the very fundamental principles of their own beliefs. And the system of thought, the system, their ideologies had been turned upside down. This is Amir al-Mu'mineen describing the period before the Prophet came. So now we know that when the Prophet came and he brought along with him these teachings, that these, this description was basically eliminated from the society. Okay? Because he brought them back, he brought this unity into the, into the, you know, the community. He got rid of the fact that you know people had this fitna. He got rid of the vices and so on. He gave them a strong foundation. So now, when we say that there is absence of the prophet, meaning absence of these teachings, then the natural conclusion of that would be that we, as a community, would begin taking on the qualities of that jahiliyyah period that Amir al-Mu'minin was describing. One hundred percent. Right. Yeah. For example, we know that in Jahiliyyah, they, they were disputing and arguing over the most petty and trivial matters, correct? Which is something that we see very much, you know, prevalent in our societies today. This was a community of people, you know, in Surah Al-Takathur, Al-Hakum Al-Takathur, Hatta Zurtumul Maqabir. These were people who would waste their time in sort of showing off and bragging about their, you know, the qualities of their tribes. Until the Quran says, "Hatta zurtumul maqabir." There's diff different interpretations, but one of the interpretations of this, and there is some historical evidence for this as well, is that the groups of tribes were counting their individuals in, the, in their, their population, basically. So one group was saying that we have 50 people in our tribe, for example. The other was trying to say, you know, we have 51, 52. So once they started counting, they ended up at the graveyard. 
and they started counting their deads just so they can add it to their list of uh, you know quantity of people just to just to show that we have more people in our tribe uh, than you and what was the point of this nothing quran is saying that you know this stuff has sort of diverted your attention away from the more important things so this is what the prophet came and he removed and when his teachings are absent then obviously as a result that you know we see this happening in our communities and this is where the importance of having those teachings and having a systematic study of the seerah being delivered in our communities in for our youth to teach them about the seerah of the prophet becomes very crucial at this point because we want to avoid falling into the same description that Imam Ali salam was describing the the people of Jahiliyyah with, essentially. Yeah, that's right. And I believe that this job isn't only for our scholars, but parents have to put this as a priority in their life. But we will talk about that in a different question later. Yeah. But for now, how can we bring him back after we lost him? We want to talk about how can we bring his teachings back, correct? And if you remember, one of the points I've mentioned is that one of the dilemmas that we face is how can we make his teachings practical and that's what it would mean to bring him back meaning bring his teachings back that's right okay most notably of these teachings are basically his ethical teachings and as well as you know certain aspects of theology the, his theological teachings as well for example there's a lot of stuff about tawhid for example or the day of judgment these are also part of his teachings that you know we need to bring back but let's just for example, focus on the ethics right now, which are the practical uh, you know, duties that we have to do. In order to bring him back, we're going to have to bring his ethical values back. Okay, What were the values of the Prophet? What were the ethical values that he stood up for? Okay, Now, we have to be a little bit careful here. Sometimes what ends up happening is that when we study the seerah, we look at, you know, for example, we see the Prophet did something in a certain way. Now, we don't want to become pure literalists uh, in our attempt to imitate the Prophet. Because at the end of the day, if you look at the way the Muslim scholars throughout history, they had an understanding that the life of the Prophet can be divided into two aspects. There's an aspect of his life which, in which he would conduct a certain act or a certain behavior, which was a pure product of his time and place and context. Okay? So, for example, if he were to wear a certain type of clothing or if he were to, you know, for example, if in his, in his house, he would decorate his house in a certain way, for example. You know, we don't even have those type of houses anymore. No, or we no, don't even no. have those type of, you know, clothing anymore. So, these things, the scholars did not bring them into those aspects where you have to, you know, imitate per se. That's right. But there were these acts, act, there were these acts by the Prophet, which were not just, you know, merely coincidental to his context that, you know, okay, it was just an issue of matter of time and place, and hence he did it. No, there were some of, some of these actions of his were rooted in some very deep ethical, you know, concepts. So let me give you, you know, an example. Uh, this example is, is, from, is from fiqh, it's from law, it's not from ethics, but I'll give a, later on I'll give an example of uh, ethics as well. But let me give you an example from law. You know, there was a period of time where the jurists would say that the Friday sermon has to be given in the Arabic language, okay? And if you did not give the, the sermon in the Arabic language, the Jum'ah khutbah was not valid. The sermon was not valid, 
Okay, what did, why did they say this? They said, well, the Prophet gave the sermon in Arabic and hence we have to give the sermon in Arabic. Why? Because we have to imitate him. That's right. Okay. Yeah. But later scholars came, you know, a few yeah. centuries later, and they said that, look, if you want to follow the Prophet over here in this situation, you have to give the khutbah, the sermon, in the language that the audience understands. That's right. Because imitating the Prophet here doesn't mean to give the sermon in Arabic. Rather, it means to give the sermon in a language which the audience understands. Yeah, it's the concept, basically. Like, you follow the concept. Exactly, exactly. So, you doing that is you essentially implementing the teachings of the Prophet. And this is what needs to be done when you study the seerah. And we have many examples in the Quran as well. All these ethical examples that the Quran is giving. Stories about prophets, stories about awliya, stories about different individuals. For example, in, in the story of uh, Prophet Musa and the daughters of Shu'ayb salam says, فَجَاءَتْهُ إِحْدَاهُمَا تَمْشِي عَلَىٰ إِسْتِحْيَاءٍ One of the daughters of Shu'ayb came to Musa. She was walking with you know shyness. She was being a little bit bashful. It doesn't matter over here, it doesn't matter for us how old Musa was, how old the, the, the lady was, how tall she was, what was her facial complexion, what was her ethnicity, none of that really matters. What matters here is that ethical value which is tamshi al-istihya, meaning walking with shyness. Now, what do we have to do to bring him back? We have to figure out these ethical values, these ethical concepts, and we have to figure out how can we exemplify this specific ethical concept in our lives today? And I'll give you an example from the Prophet's life, a very simple, very, very simple example, because otherwise this can get very complicated, but a very simple example. Just imagine how we interact in our communities today. Imagine, you know, you're a youth leader or somebody's a president of a mosque, or even if you're a manager at work, for example, you, you overlook, oversee employees, okay? How much do we ensure that our personality does not come across as, you know, intimidating or some somebody who everybody else fears, for example. You know, somebody that, uh, how do, do we really come across as somebody who cares about others? This is a question. So let's go to the seerah of the Prophet and see what he would do to make sure that he does uh, come across in this manner. Or one of the events that we read from the Prophet's life is that when he would sit with the companions, he would sit in a circle on the ground together. And some of the scholars have said that the reason for why they would sit in a circle is in order for the companions to feel very comfortable around him and for him to be very accessible by anybody who was in that circle. Now for us, it doesn't really matter the circle, if it was a circle or a square or a, you know whatever other shape. That's not what matters to us. What matters to us is that the Prophet made sure that others around him were uh, comfortable. That's right. That they were, he was easily accessible for conversation and discussion. Okay. The companions were not intimidated by the Prophet. You know, as a matter of fact, when we look at some of the, some of the statements that some of the companions of the Prophet would make, and we read them today, you know, sometimes they come across as very disrespectful in our eyes today. Today. Okay. I know and rude. Yeah. Yeah. But in that, but you see in that time, the Prophet would never sort of condemn, condemn them for that. No, he was also doing tarbiyah. He was trying to get these people out of that sort of low level and bring them to a higher level of understanding. And this is what we need to do when we study his seerah. We need to study his seerah, understand these finer points, understand these, you know, these values, 
and see how we can implement them today. And that will be the best example of having the presence of the Prophet in our lives today. I totally agree with you, making it uh, relevant to our time. I'm going to say the following. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Holy Quran, yeah. He says uh, at the beginning of verse 6 in chapter 33, the Prophet is closer to the believers than their own selves. In other words, he is their priority. And also uh, many narrations uh, mention the following meaning uh, where he says where he says no one of you should be considered a believer until I become more loved to him than his parents, children and people altogether. Clearly uh, his love must be a priority but uh, yeah. why is that and uh, yeah. do we have that culture in our houses and communities? I would say this is probably, you know, the most important question because imagine you've studied his seerah, you have studied the details of his life. Let's say you've also figured out how to implement his seerah in our lives today. Let's say you figured everything out. But until and unless you have a love for the Prophet, all of that previous work will not result in anything practical. Yeah, it wouldn't okay? mean anything. Yeah, we have a hadith in Usul al-Kafi. It's a very famous hadith. It's called the hadith of the armies or the soldiers of the intellect and the jahal. Aqal and jahal. Foolishness or ignorance. However you want to translate that. In that hadith, um, Imam Sadiq salam, he lists out different soldiers for the army of the intellect. And one of the soldiers for the intellect is love. Okay, hub. And the understanding of the Muslim scholars with respect to intellect and the aqal is that the love is the motivating element that enables you and allows you to behave in accordance to what you believe. Okay, so for example, as an example, I may, you know, study the hadith corpus and come to the conclusion that Salatul Layl is extremely beneficial. Okay, and extremely mustahab and highly recommended and has all of these rewards and so on and so forth. But... But because I don't really, I haven't developed an emotional connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I don't have that love. No matter how much I, I know about this, no matter, no matter how much I have a conviction that this is the truth, I'm never going to get out of my bed and actually pray Salatul Layl. Yeah, there is no motivation. Yeah. There is no motivation, okay? Likewise is the issue with the seerah of the Prophet. You may be convinced about what the Prophet's seerah was. You may be convinced on how I need to implement his seerah in our life today. But because you don't have that love, you don't have an actual emotional connection with the Prophet, you are not going to do anything about that information at the end of the day. Because the love is the one that's supposed to motivate you to go out and act. And if that love is missing, or if the love is of a lower degree, let's say, if you don't, if you lack that, if you lack that, then obviously you're not going to act upon it. But this also ties back to, if you remember the first question, we said, why is he absent? The first question was also the fact that it's sort of like, almost like a circular, uh, you know, like a, like a circle, this argument, which is that you need, in order for you to increase your love, you do need to study his life. Okay, you, need to, you do need to study about his life. And if you don't study about his life, the love that you're going to have is going to be very sort of superficial or very little. Okay, And unfortunately, in the societies that we live in, you may not even have any sort of emotional attachment to the Prophet at all. 
because of you know just the fact that you're living in a society where the profit is is is, is irrelevant at the end of the day in in the larger society so that is where the importance of love comes in and you've also mentioned initially uh, earlier about the role of parents here and i would want to you know re reiterate that and re-emphasize that that the love of the prophet needs to be cultivated from a younger age amongst our children and obviously that has to begin at home okay so even if it's very simplistic stuff for example by just mentioning his name and you know talking about him tell, telling your children stories about him you know now we have so many storybooks for example about the life of the prophet uh just sort of getting them acquainted with the prophet that this is somebody important this is somebody who's you know an uswatul hasana somebody who is a role model and so on it has to begin from a young age and once that is there in place then obviously you know in the future as they grow they can build on that further and obviously the the tawfiq of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also has to be there the the guidance of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also has to be there and we pray that allah gives us the tawfiq to actually have a true love for the prophet so we can you know act on his seerah on the prophet, prophetic seerah with you know more recognition and more ma'rifah inshallah inshallah brother um, it was great talking to you, Brother Ali. Thank, Thank you so you much. Thank you for being here with us today. I hope that we put some light on this issue and brought it closer to our attention. If you have any questions or feedback, please don't hesitate to reach out. And thank you for listening and have a good day.